0: And you're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show. You just heard right there from St. John, Newfoundland, Coach Longlegs with the track... All you have to do is try. And thank you so much, Coach Longlegs, for mentioning Nardwar and Lisa Marr. And actually, Nardwar and Lisa Marr are people. Yes, I'm Nardwar to Human Serviette. But to help explain who Lisa Marr is, we have a special guest on a Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show. Hello, are you there, special guest?
1: I am here. Who? are you i'm mark kleiner and thank you for having me on Nardwar. it was just reminding me as you mentioned that song the uh, danger danger rap song you went from ellie guns to enough's enough and you partied with poison on the back of their bus yes
0: you've taught me so much about metal and stuff but first who are you exactly could you move a bit closer to the mic and could you tell
1: the people the importance of them mentioning nardwar and lisa marr well lisa marr is a much-loved fixture uh, songwriter uh, the leader of Cub from the nineteen nineties here in in Vancouver. I mean, and and of course Nardwar is you, and so. Um what do you want me to say?
0: Well, um, I guess I was just thinking, you've been on a Nardwar to Human Survey at Radio Show a few times, but your mic technique is terrible, <laughs> Mark. Could you, like, maybe just, like, turn, like, you turn it and then get a bit close uh, okay, to the Okay, into
1: the diaphragm yes, of the mic? yeah, exactly. How's that? Is that better?
0: That's very much better. Maybe we should do this all over again. Hello, Mark. Uh, How are uh, hello,
1: Nardwar. Thanks for having me on. Great to be here.
0: Thank you for clarifying about Lisa Marr. Could you please clarify about Lisa uh, Marr? Just, just
1: to clarify, Lisa Marr was the lead singer of Cub in the 1990s, and she now has a solo career she's based in los angeles she's married to ronnie from the muffs and she has recorded a song covered by nico case called when it snows in california how's that for a little cv of lisa marr is that adequate
0: amazing thank you so much mark Kleins kleiner and mark you've taught me quite a bit about
1: metal at first i only like punk rock how did i meet you how did i meet you actually we met just down around the corner here at citr it was 22 years ago i believe in fact in 1991 I had written an article on the monkeys for Disorder magazine. It was the 25th anniversary of the Monkees, uh, and I was just commenting it how uh, the 25-year was not getting as much attention as the 20-year. And uh, it, was, it was an okay article. It had a picture of Davy Jones poolside in Speedos and other highlights. And so that was sort of how you knew I had an interest in 60s stuff. So we just kind of bonded on that. Shortly thereafter, we were interviewing uh, the Strawberry Alarm Clock. Uh, remember that you hooked
0: me up with an interview with the yes, Strawberry Alarm yes, Clock. Exactly.
1: Yeah, I did a separate interview. Then you 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 talked with them. They wouldn't spill the dirt for me, but they would for you. That's what I recall about that. And we had a lot of fun. And then what, where did it go from there? I, I guess heavy, uh, 1993. I think we began to have conversations about uh, the state of hair metal. And I just uh, suggested to you that hair metal was the true punk rock in the early 90s. And uh, you agreed. And so we interviewed Slack Toxic Slick Toxic. And, uh. Um, and there was a
0: rumor that they were gonna change name. it. It was a Canadian heavy metal band, Slick Toxic. Yes. And you heard there was a rumor. To capitalize on the grunge punk movement, they were going to change your name to Slack Talks. Exactly, exactly, Which we
1: still kind of think about every time we say the name in their band. It's true, it's true we do. And they had just released a very grunge, uh, in- inflected album, uh, which uh, I Hate My Manager, wasn't that one of them? I Want to Blow My M- Manager Away was one of the songs. They had actually, we, we told a story and asked them about that. Their bass player from the first album, Doing the Nasty, they were kind of the, the Canadian Guns and Roses. Uh, the night of the Juno Awards, they took the, the EMI company limousine, the bass player at the wheel, and they, uh, I believe they took out a bunch of cars and they, they, they crashed the limousine and all the royalties from the first album were basically spent uh, on the, the ensuing mess. So the bass player was canned and then they made this uh, grunge album and uh, not a lot happened to them after that, although they may be reuniting, I don't know. So
0: And of course you love Danger Danger, so eventually we had to do an interview with Danger Danger. And again, that couplet is one of your favorites, isn't it?
1: Well, I think you've, you've dropped it a few times too. Um, it's, it is on the second Danger Danger album uh the kind of a rap song they do on there and so Bruno revels kindly spoke to us and told us about uh no dice records and um yeah we t- we talked to him we talked to a whole bunch of metal luminaries we spoke twice with Janie Lane uh extended interviews once I remember they were in Kentucky on tour touring the ultraphobic album and then they came up to a uh, Surrey BC and I think we attended that show you were at that show as well right I mean, yes
0: i remember Janie lane saying to the audience i've never heard 27 people make this much noise enough.
1: okay that was donny v that was enough's enough at the same bar studio oh, baker sorry
0: i got the two bands mixed up yeah, i'm sorry about but, that but
1: warrant had a lot more people out at the show uh, enough's enough did had a very small small crowd but uh, it was a it was an awesome night that's when we we spent the rest of the night on the enough's enough tour bus uh, swapping tales with uh, Donnie and um, and Chips Enough, who actually after the interview sent you a thank you postcard, right? In days when you didn't get a lot of thank yous,
0: it was incredible to get somebody having something sent to me, especially just for doing an interview, especially from a double tinged rock band name like Enough's Enough, Danger Danger. You introduced me to these bands again because you're like, Hey Nardwar Rancid, Punk is popular. What's the true underground in the mid nineties?
1: Right, right. I think it was it was it was, was second tier, double named. Right. It was like. Danger, danger, enough, see, enough. It's kind of like that... uh that, that uh, you know, double double monikered, right?
0: And then you told me, of course, to interview Skid Row and ask Skid Row about Warrant. Who will be playing today on the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show? Can't get rid of that. Can't get rid of 47 years worth of the monkeys. Is it really 47 years worth of the monkeys? We're still talking about them.
1: 47 we, years worth. My gosh, it's true. It is. It's coming up on the 50th anniversary, uh, three years from now. So they are actually coming to the Pacific Northwest. They will be in Seattle and Portland on the weekend. No Vancouver date announced as of yet
0: and you introduced me to the monkeys mm-hmm. again if people want to well this interview you did with Warren, where can people hear it check out nardware.com and also you can check out my interviews with the monkeys you set me up with mickey Dolan's too you always know this stuff like usually when you do an interview you approach a publicist but you just know don't you mark you just know
1: well, M- Mickey was in, in uh, Vancouver in 1991 filming a game show called Acting Crazy, and I'd received a po- – this, this was the pre-internet era, so I'd receive a postcard from Maggie McManus of Monkey Business Fanzine saying he would be in town, and I called up the game show, the producer, and she basically just – I asked if I could come in and sit in the audience, and she basically blew me off, and so I let you know. And so we turned up at the uh, at the studio, and uh, you asked Mickey Dolenz a bunch of questions, and... Uh, For a guy that
0: doesn't know a lot about the monkeys, you sure know a lot, lot about, about the monkeys! monkeys. Yes. And I
1: knew a lot about the monkeys because of you, Mark Kleins Kleiner. I remember you saying that you knew more about Cheap Trick than you did the monkeys, and that might not be true anymore. Now they could be about about even.
0: Well, eventually, you set me up with an interview with Cheap Trick. We did Cheap Trick together, yes. remember that? Yes. Because Bunny Carlos's brother wrote a
1: book... <laughs> One American Must Die, right? And then, of course, Tom Peterson said, I can think of... A couple Canadians who should die. Yes. boom. That's um, when we're doing that interview. Yes, Bunny's uh, brother was uh, taken hostage on a TWA flight, I believe, right? That, that's something you uncovered. That was quite an amazing little...
0: That was passed on to me by Leora Kornfeld.
1: God bless ex- Leora, yes. cbc
0: who had the book, One American Must Die, because she loves the smith, and she also loves the trick. And also, you told me about enough's enough and how they were cheated off the cheap trick tribute album remember private y- yes. Parts, or was it a private, part no, 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 like, part? pri- private Parts private parts both of them
1: private parts with howie sterny decided that they were not Be- uh, let's cool go enough. back
0: for a second here's an ultimate power pop band yes enough's enough that are keeping the spirit of cheap trick alive all these years mm-hmm. when cheap trick are playing
1: second tier venues basically that's a little setup now Back to you, Mark. Yeah, I mean, you know, Enough's Enough and and Cheap Trick, as Cheap Trick was sort of starting to reascend in the late 80s, uh, Enough's Enough was breaking through big time. So there was sort of a a coalescence there between those two forces. I'm speaking of when uh, Cheap Trick had The Flame come out, the Diane Warren's power ballad that was number one in 1988. Uh, The following year, Enough's Enough released their debut album and had a couple big hits on it with New Thing and uh, Fly High Michelle. And then uh, as Grunge hit, uh Enough's enough really fell from favor and uh, they were they were booted off the Cheap Trick Tribute album, which they'd recorded for. They'd recorded Everything Works If You Let It, which was a song from the Roadie movie. The Roadie remember that one with Meatloaf playing a roadie? I do remember Tom Peterson sort of laughing when we asked him about this. Right? Yeah. We said, "Hey, man, you
0: guys kicked cheat. You, you kicked Enoughs Enough off the tribute album," and he's like, "Ah, who cares about those guys?" Yeah, he, he said
1: they were. He said they were never on there, and he said they're trying to kill the spirit of of Chicago, but the Smashing Pumpkins are trying to make it live. You know. And then didn't we? play that? oh, we, no, 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 Billy Corgan ends up guesting on an Enoughs Enough album. The guy from uh, Smashing Pumpkins ends up playing with Enoughs Enough a couple of years later. So
0: and then Billy Corgan ends up doing something with Sky Saxon of the Seeds. Wow, yes. working together, and you quite enjoy that version of Evil Hoodoo that I played in an Ardwar to Human Soviet radio show a few weeks ago, the yes. full 17-minute version. 17.
1: And there's somewhere there's a photo of Ronnie Bingenheimer with Sky Saxon and Mickey Dolans at a screening of Head, the Monkeys movie, just before the Monkeys did their massive 1986 comeback concert tour. So there's, there's I mean, there's many points of connection between the Seeds and the Monkeys. That's never been much of a stretch, right? Because the double E's.
0: And in the private part soundtrack, Enough's Enough were kicked off.
1: Yes, that was Howie Stern. Howie Stern is one of the biggest, uh, through the years, supporters of Enough's Enough, but at some point, it just didn't seem tenable for him to have them on what was supposed to be and and what turned out to be his big sort of going mainstream moment which enough's enough they they, you know there's something about them that they do have a power to sort of bring projects like there's a sabotaging element to them that you know for whatever reason but uh yeah they were they were definitely booted off the private parts soundtrack you like the dirty dogs
0: of rock and roll but you also like the underdogs and warrant to you is an underdog isn't it warrant is an underdog for you
1: Well, you know, I, I, yeah, there's something about that, but I, I, I gotta say we were just having this conversation in the, in the hallway about, uh, you know, I, I used to be sort of really gravitating towards these, these sort of tragic stories in rock and roll, you know, the underappreciated, the unheard, you know, in this day and age when, when, when it's ubiquity, right, whatever you want to hear is anywhere. And just the fact that these people have made music and that it's out there and the people who want to hear it, uh, can hear it you know it's like screw the tragedy right because it's not a tragedy like big star the for instance the 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 big star documentary just played in town let me just well let me just say this against people are wondering who am i talking to i'm nerdboard a human server yet speaking to mark kleins kleiner who
0: at one time was in a band called the sister lovers named after a big star tune you were now in the band jungle or it's been reactivated jungle or back going but i just thought i'd get that in there you were once in a band named after a sister lover's Tune by Big Star. Well,
1: Sister Lovers the album and there was no the, right? It was just Sister Lovers, but we get that all Okay,
0: you also taught me about Big Star.
1: Yeah, well, and, and so the the Big Star doc uh, sometimes the story is interpreted as a tragedy, right? Because they did not sell very well. Ardent Records, those records came out, um, but as uh, John Fry, their, their their producer, has said so so well, um, it's not a tragic story. The fact is, the music continues to live, generation after generation continues to discover it. So the really it's it's there's tragic elements, and the real tragic element to the Big Star story, as Peter Case recently said, I think so well, is the fact that uh, Alex Chilton didn't have health insurance. He didn't go get his chest pains looked at because of that and he died of a heart attack like a week later. And so that is more, if there is tragic elements, it it pertains to the state of healthcare and it's a social justice issue that we need to act on. But we don't need to keep dredging up the tragedy of these stories because the music lives and that's not really tragic.
0: And Mark Klein's Kleiner was one of the first people that showed me Yellow Pills fanzine. Yellow Pills. yeah. Power Pop. That's where you learned a lot of stuff from there. Yellow Pills, right?
1: Jordan Oaks. And I think he has a connection with Judith Beeman who started her own regional uh, fanzine, uh, sort of geared around Big Star, uh, Back of a Car, and, so, and shout out to Freddie Fortune. Oh, Freddie Fortune, yes. Well, Freddie I met along with Kevin. Of Ke- Fortune
0: and Maltese. Yes. And the fabulous
1: pallbearers. And you play them a lot on the show, and I know that Freddie came to to uh, the, the, the GVA. I might say I don't. Think yes,
0: and the other guy in Fortune Maltese, Mike Maltese, his sister I think was married to a Smashing Pumpkin, or somehow <laughs> there was some connection to the Smashing Pumpkin. This I'd throw that in there. But back to the tragic story. Oh, wait, do you want to finish shouting? out I think Freddie she Fortune? Li- she
1: listened to the Smashing Pumpkins. I don't know if she was married. Baboom. Uh, but but back to the tragic story though. You're mentioning
0: uh, Freddie Fortune. I was trying to
1: get off the tragic story tip. But okay, Fre- but Freddie and and then Kevin Schmid, who's also known as Professor Schmidt and did stuff with Fortune. We actually, uh, the three of us met in 1986 at the Monkeys Convention in Philadelphia, and we began a correspondence because we were uh, rabid monkeys audio collectors. We weren't so much into the video, but rare audio tapes. We were into, you know, so we'd swap audio back and forth, and uh, we sort of kept uh, kept in contact. And then actually, Freddie and I lost touch. He picked up a. Hardware the Human Serviette video, um, probably 10, 11 years after we'd last communicated, saw a picture of me on the back of the cover with you and Janie Lane backstage at Warrant at Studebaker's in 1997, and through that, we reconnected. So bless you, thank you for helping make that reconnection happen. Because as Davy Jones said in the last couple years of his life all the time, music mingles souls, and it's true.
0: And you set me up an interview with Mickey Dolenz. It was in about 1990 or 1991, and then 10 years later, we spoke to...
1: Peter Torque. Every ten years, we made a pact. We will speak with a monkey or ex-monkey. So this past year, we were hoping. Well, let's go back to Peter for a sec, right? Because he was at the Skagit County Fair in Washington. So we made the trip down south. It was it was a show promoted by Shoe Suede Blues. No, that was the band he was with, Shoe Suede Blues. But it was a, it was promoted by
0: I can't remember from the
1: Moberlys.
0: Oh, Jim Bassnight. Jim, Jim Bassnight. Jim also from the Meese. See, you remember the Moberly's. I remember the Meese, the Mice. Okay. Because they were the first punk band out of Seattle, Washington. Shout out to Jim Bassnight, 1977. Bless it real.
1: That's right. And he actually opened up for Dwight Twilley in 1979 when he came on a club tour. And you
0: gave me that VHS tape of Dwight Twilley doing a video called Girls, where there's some naked stuff going on.
1: Yeah. Well, Dwight Twilley um, had, there's an R-rated version of the, the Girls song, which was a top 20 hit, one of his two top 20 hits. And And uh, his backup singer on that song, uh, Tom Petty's in doing backup vocals, like sort of a co-lead thing, but the backup singer is Susan Cowsill from the Cowsills, uh, who relates to this story as well, because Billy Cowsill lived out for years here in Vancouver, and uh, later started a band called the Blue Shadows. Who we're going to be hearing very shortly. Yes.
0: And actually, another connection to the Nardwater Human Serviette Radio Show, to Dwight Twilley, is Burger Records. Burger Records recently released, well, not recently, but in the past little while, released a Dwight Twilly record. Burger
1: Records. Was that the Green Blimp?
0: Uh, yeah, the, I think that's what it was. Yeah, what do you think of that album?
1: Uh, I, I've just heard snippets, but I, I just, I'm just i thrilled that Dwight's still making music. And uh, what, what? how do you know about Burger Records? How do you know about Burger Records? Are you sure not thinking of Murder Records? No, not Murder from Nova Scotia.
0: Although we did off the top. Play the wonderful band Coach Longlegs from St. John, Nova Scotia. Are they on Murder? Sorry, St. John, Newfoundland. Yes. No, but it's, you know, but the one band from Newfoundland Is it St. John's? Hardship Post,
1: St. John's, Hardship right? Post were from St. John. Uh, okay. Uh, what about Jail? They were in Nova Scotia, right? Yes, they
0: right. were indeed. Yeah. And what I was going to say though, if we go all the way back to the interview we did with Peter Tork, that was two thousand and one. Yes, we were hoping that this year, say ten years later. No, no,
1: two years ago, I came out to to Vancouver. I hadn't been here in about six years, and um, we were going to connect and we were going to interview Davy Jones because the monkeys were booked at the Red Robinson uh, Theater Casino in Coquitlam, I believe. And so we had planned that we were we were right on track to get our ten year like thing. It was it, it and it was always the same time year you know it was like either late summer early fall so we were right in that window and then what happened
0: he sadly passed away no no no
1: he died 6 months later but the tour imploded because of some nefarious uh, financial dealings uh they canceled Canada they canceled all the remaining dates so there was no Davy Jones to interview and then uh and it
0: would have been perfect in our 10-year intervals
1: it would have been our, right in our interval so and then the following February 29th 2012 of course we we lost David to he had a he had a heart attack and he died in Florida so we didn't we never got to interview David um but I know that you did some tribute on your show after that and played some yeah music. you phoned
0: into an to human survey ratio and again we are speaking no, no 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 Mark- not for David but for warrant you for, did. for
1: Janie when Janie Lane died I, I yeah we talked a bit We we haven't had a chance to talk about David. Mark
0: Kleins-Klein, which we will be today on the Nardware Human Survey Radio Show. But I was going to say again, the tragedy that you were so fascinated with led me to interviewing Warrant. Right. Because Warrant were a fascinating band, but before that, we did an interview with... Skid Row. And because, Mark, you were so fascinated by Skid Row, you told
1: me that I should ask Sebastian back a lot of questions about Warrant. Well, one in particular, because uh, Skid Row had a producer named Michael, Michael Wagner, the wag, who would produce their um, first two albums, I believe, and they were massive uh, successes. Michael Wagner also produced the third Warrant album, Dog Eat Dog, which was not successful. It had come out just after Nirvana had hit it huge, and so the album stiffed. And the question that you asked, I think it was your first, wasn't it like your first question like he was he he'd been smoking the bong and then like you hit him with this question how come michael wagner did such a great job with you guys but totally effed up with warrant i believe was the exact quote and at that point he you know he got up and he was grabbing the tape demanding the tape and it killed the interview because i don't think we had anything much and then so as a peace gesture i gave you my cheat prick we'd been thrown out of the studio he'd taken your toque right i mean am i missing anything uh, and then we're out in the parking lot trying to hash, what are we going to do? You know, we, and so we sort of triaged in the parking lot and I have my cheat prick pin with me. And I said, he's a huge cheap trick fan. Like go, this will be like a sort of a, a reconciliation jest. No, actually I went in there, right. I did my Jimmy Carter. I went in there and did like a kind of a reconciliation moment. I said, here's this cheat prick pin. Can I just get Narwhar's toque back? And he said, and so, so, so Baz grabbed it and said, thanks for the pin, man. And they just turned around. I, I haven't seen the toque anywhere and it was right on top of his head. Right. So. And it was my favorite toque, the toque
0: that I wore in all my interviews that I was did the toque that I wore every day and because I lost that toque that's why I wear a tartan hat so
1: there we are. Well, so that sort of today. worked out, right? That sort of worked out. You got off the... No, I
0: would have liked to wear a toque because that's what Mike Nesmith wore. Right, the So hat. he's still somebody that we can try to go after, perhaps. Yes,
1: well, we, we, we really should have tried because they are they are they in the north, Northwest. But then after the toque incident, of course, we had protests at the town pump. Uh, they were doing um, um, a Make-A-Wish Foundation or something like that, benefit. So we were protesting a benefit for Make-A-Wish Foundation, which is not really an ideal circumstance to be holding a protest. But we, we, we carried on. Had because
0: this- Sebastian Bach was there yeah, doing playing. vocal. Vocals for Joan Jett. Joan Jett was the backup. Well, Skid Row actor. was
1: playing. Uh, Joan Jett was there. Uh, there was a reunion of uh, Rock and Hyde. I think maybe it was a Paola's reunion. I'm not sure. And um, we protested the Take, take Back the took protest. And you remember who our fellow protesters? There was Grant Lawrence and Lisa from Mark the
0: Lisa Mar, who we began an Nardwark the Human Serviette radio show with. Coach Long Legs. So thank you, Mark, so much for this teaching me so much and like we're only up to like 1994 so today on our board of Human Soviet radio show you've brought in a bunch of stuff here to play some new obsessions of yours the Rhodes Kids what are we going to hear to begin with right now
1: uh, we're going to hear from the Rhodes Kids a song called Voodoo Magic produced by Danny Jansen and Bobby Hart now Bobby Hart was a monkey songwriter and in the mid 70s Bobby Hart along with his former songwriting uh, partner from the 1960s Tommy Boyce uh, united with Davy Jones and Mickey Dolans from the Monkees to do, go on the road as Dolan's, Jones, Boyce, and Hart, the guys who sang them and the guys who wrote them. And I spent a few years uh, researching and writing a book on Dolan's, Jones, Boyce, and Hart, the kind of first monkeys half reunion, you might say, in the mid-1970s. Anyways, one of the things that uh, Bobby Hart did, separate from Dolan's, Jones, Boyce, and Hart, was he uh, produced a lot of acts in the 1970s with this fellow named Danny Jansen. He's the guy who co-wrote the theme to The Partridge Family. And uh, one of the acts that they uh, got commissioned to record was The Rhodes Kids. Now, this was kind of a post-Cow Sills family group that never... Never really broke it big, but they were recording uh, in in their their hometown. I believe is in Florida. No, it was in Texas. Okay, I'm not 100. percent I think they recorded in Florida. Anyways, um, the guy who sang them was known as the Scarface of porn. He was like, uh, he's, he's you know the guy a- who signed them. Yes. And the guy who hired Jansen and Hart to come out, so it 's a really strange and they were a Christian group, well, they were Christians, but they weren 't a Christian group per se. They were just uh, kind of a group of family singers, and they never broke broke through but they uh they did record with Hart and jansen uh Bobby told me they were paid in cash, and uh you know this 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 gentleman who um hired Bobby you know the the the, the guy with the nefarious connections and stuff ends up uh, moving out of his house that was later moved into by Bobby Brown and Whitney Houston.
0: And that also connects to, there's a show out there called The Ex-Wives of Rock. Have you heard about that show?
1: Oh, is that with Tweed and... Yeah, yeah, with two Warrant ex-wives in it, Bobby Brown and the other Bobby Brown. I'm I'm not talking about that. There's two Bobby Browns. So to clarify, this is not Bobby Brown from the Cherry Pie video with Warrant. That's the one on the show you just mentioned. But yes, you're right. That is a point of connection. Absolutely. So we're going to hear the Rhodes kids, uh, Bobby Hart produced Act. And then what's what's after that? Are we going to go hear some uh, Blue Shadows? Okay, so the Blue Shadows, this is with uh, Billy Cowsill from the Cowsill, so again, that family band connection, you'll remember Susan Cowsill, the backup singer on Dwight Twilley, and uh, Billy, of course, living out here for years in Vancouver, um, You know, united with Jeffrey Hatcher, who's a great uh, Canadian songwriter, and they made Magic as the Blue Shadows, the drummer, and this track's a very dear friend of mine named Jay Johnson, uh, listen up for Jay's uh, inimitable drumming skills, holding down the beat. And, uh, we have a
0: few more surprises we'll throw exactly. in there as well. Why don't we
1: start playing some tunes?
0: Here, right now, is the Rhodes Kids with Voodoo Magic. On an Ardward, a human serviette radio show with guest DJ Mark Kleins.
1: Kleiner. A <gasps>
2: Voodoo Magic.
3: Deliver us from all that might be If we get what we think we want Right at me, I can feel it settling. Oh, please deliver me.
0: still listening to the War, the Human Serviette Radio Show with special guest DJ Mark Kleiner. Mark Kleins Kleiner, what did we just hear there?
1: We heard the Blue Shadows with their really their classic song, Deliver Me, written by Jeffrey Hatcher with a great lead vocal by Billy Cousel, the late Billy Cousel, and Jay Johnson holding down the beat on the drums and uh, Barry Moore on bass guitar. And before that, we heard the Rhodes Kids with uh, Voodoo Magic, produced by Bobby Hart and Danny Jansen. And I guess the connection with that is the Cowsills and the Rhodes Kids, both being family groups, and Billy Cowsill, of course, being in the Blue Shadows.
0: And you actually tracked down some of the Rhodes Kids. Can we read that interview with the Rhodes Kids interview that you did?
1: Well, not as of yet, but for that that book I was working on, uh, Mark Rhodes, I was able to track him down and and interview him about the whole Rhodes Kids experience. Um,
0: How rare is their album?
1: Their albums are very scarce. Uh, The album that they ended up recording, that single that they did with uh, Hart and Jansen, they also did a Christmas album with Bobby Hart and Danny Jansen. That one's fairly easy to find through eBay. It didn't sell anything, but there were lots of cutouts copies so it, it does circulate and you can get the the Rhodes kids christmas album quite easily but the other albums that they made came out on an independent uh label out of texas and those are uh harder to locate but the, a lot of that stuff is up on youtube if the listeners are so oh and i gotta mention the title of their last album caught Medleying." ba boom and Martin, awesome title you
0: always turn me on to interesting things in fact where you once lived in Vancouver on East Georgia Street, you were quite near the New York Theater, and one day you phoned me up and said, Ringo is there?
1: Yeah. Yeah, we, we lived at 1634 East Georgia. Uh, it's not the current property there. It's been rebuilt. Um, they, they exhumed and burned that house. But um, we were literally, like, you know, from standing on our front porch, you could see the back alley of the New York Theater. And Ringo was there with his all-star band rehearsing. I believe it was the 1995 All-Stars, which included Felix Cavalier from The Rascals, who are recently reunited in the subject of a biopic. Yes, that's right. And then Randy Bachman was in it, a little Canadian connection. John Entwistle from The Who uh who am i forgetting there's a there's a number of others anyway you can look it up fairly easily on the internet but they were there rehearsing and we would come out uh we'd stand on like 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 from our house on the front porch we could see ringo come out and catch smoke breaks in the alley and i would grab my copy of old wave the 1983 failed joe walsh produced ringo album and walk traips over to try and get him to sign it and every time when he saw me coming he would just quietly walk back in inside even though i knew a couple people there is a uh who was there Lauren Safer, I think, was there. Um, and Henry Diltz was there. And I chatted with Henry because i met him at the Monkeys' conventions. Now, Henry's very famous for having shot the photographs, not only for the Monkeys but for all Doors. the Doors records. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. And so we shot The Breeze a bit, and that, that allowed me to sort of hang out within Ringo's vicinity. But I couldn't uh, sort of break that fourth wall, as it were, break that uh, threshold. However... Um, you came by with a camera, and you were able to shout one question at Ringo as he exited from the press conference, which you also attended. And so using that, God bless you, because you, you chose the, the question that I really wanted you to ask him, which was probably the worst and least interesting question you could possibly ask Ringo Starr, which is, what is it like, Ringo, to be on a new age label? Uh, Ringo, four years before, had released an album on private music called Time Takes Time, because he couldn't get a, a, a deal with the majors. This was going to be his big comeback album, which includes a cover of a posy song, Golden Blind. And lots of other sort of uh, Pacific Northwest connections. But um, Ringo, uh, what did he say? I'm not a new age. uh, He just sort of muttered and went into his minivan, right? Uh, And then I yelled,
0: Ringo, Ringo, Ringo! And he said, that's my name! (laughs) I think probably the worst part of that, this was the fact that I was being restrained by Randy Bachman's bodyguards. It just seemed really <laughs> odd because at that time he really didn't have any bodyguards. It was just people trying to help Randy out because they didn't want me close to Ringo. But that, that was my closeness uh, to a Beatle there. Thank you so much, Mark by, but you
1: But later on we, we both attended the Hard Rock Cafe opening because, I mean, really not where there's not an opening you would miss in this town, right? And so you had like these tickets to the Hard Rock Cafe opening and uh, you know, I think you graciously allowed me to come along as your plus one. And that night you bonded with Randy quite a bit. Bachman was very, uh, I I'm, I'm I mean, I know you guys are much more like tight now, but that was when you were just sort of forging that early friendship, so.
0: Well, I mentioned to him a story that I had heard, and it was about the Kentucky Fried Rat. Basically, Bachman, Turner, Overdrive were the first straight-edge vegan band. They were huge guys. Not, not vegan. Okay,
1: well, we're not vegan. <laughs> That's us it
0: in the first straight-edge band <laughs> that they didn't drink. They just ate a lot, right?
1: Yeah. No so, women, no drugs, no booze, lots of buffets. That was their mantra, right? And
0: they love Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? So they're driving it their tour van, you know, they're all pushed together, all fat, they're sweating or whatever. Oh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. They went to more Kentucky Fried Chickens than any other band did when they were like touring. Like, you know, there's those percentage points of how Alex, the bassist of the band Blur, Alex James, he drank like a percentage of all the champagne in... England for a certain period of time, like two percent of all the champagne, or five percent of all the champagne for this one like five year period was drunk by Alex from Blur. He just drank right. a lot. So BTO, there's chances that they probably like five percent of all the Kentucky Fried well, Chicken. And when yeah,
1: and when uh, like ten years, fifteen years ago, when Kentucky Fried Chicken was doing their overview of company policy and they were considering changing their name, they said, "Well, Bachman Turner Overdrive can be known as BTO, then Kentucky Fried Chicken can be known as KFC." Quote unquote. I kid you not.
0: Bap. That's that's amazing. I had no idea about that. And then basically, Mark, what I was thinking was, I thought I would ask the story that I'd heard about the Kentucky Fried Rat. What is the story? About? I, yeah,
1: forget that. I remember you guys... Just share the story. Share this the story. Kentucky
0: Fried Rat is that Randy Bachman told me because they're so hungry and they're eating more than anybody else. You know, they're the first straight edge band, right? They're just eating and eating and eating. They go into the Kentucky Fried Chicken and they have a wing or they have a drumstick and they bite into it, and there's a rat in. The Kentucky Fried Chicken, like the bat like underneath the batter, like what the hell is this? Or what? They don't react violently. It's like what the hell is this? Apparently, some rats had been like crawling on the pipes over where they were deep frying, and they like <laughs> kept falling in. So, if all the people that would encounter it were BTO, but so they would have had like- to
1: batter it. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. It would have to fall in the batter, and someone would have to have intentionally then deep fried because it wouldn't fall straight in the fryer. There'd be no batter on it.
0: <laughs> well, I just. Or, or somehow, maybe no, maybe it just maybe got, it fell into the batter. Maybe it was
1: an unbattered, or maybe it fell in the batter.
0: Anyways, yes. that was a Kentucky Fried Rat, so I was able to get that friendship together, and we were able to. Get and it was a true story, right? It was yeah.
1: true, true. He, 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 did he? Like you heard the story, and yeah, then he, he verified. T- that. He totally
0: verified yeah, yeah. it that yeah. that actually did happen. Wow. Kentucky Fried Rat, and John Entwistle was there too
1: that's Which right. pretty he, amazing. He, he didn't re, he didn't really say much, did he?
0: He was very quiet. But very I think quiet. that's generally he's what he's the quiet like. one. Yes, exactly. And so, Mark Kleins Kleiner. What do we have coming up right now? We're back to the monkeys. You just can't get away from the monkeys, right? No,
1: I can't. No, I can't. We have a couple of uh, uh, special treats for your listeners out there today. We have a recording of "Daydream Believer." Um, cover- check out the, the shtick right before this. This is amazing. This is from 1977. Mickey Dolenz and Davy Jones went on a tour largely of uh, Big Daddy's disco nightclubs throughout florida they played some other venues this was um when they were really just trying to make a paycheck uh it was a very rough time for for them all personally but what was really interesting is their backing band on this tour was the laughing dogs now the laughing dogs were just about to sign with columbia records and they were part of the cbgb's new york sort of underground pop art punk they weren't really punk they were more just sort of Power pop, um, but they are part of that burgeoning scene, so they're really on their ascendant. And uh, Mickey and Davey are trying to figure out what the hell they're doing. They really don't know, and they're kind of treading water in their their career. You know, is on the opposite end of the arc. And so these different forces kind of meet that summer, that year, 1977, and they go off on a tour together. And the tour culminates in uh, a show. The Laughing Dogs play that summer at CBGB's, the famous summer of '77. And for the Encore, they have Davy and Mickey come out and they do a version of Stepping Stone. And Lisa Crystal, who's the daughter of uh, the CBGB's deceased uh, founder, has a photo book out which has a picture that captures that moment when Davy and Mickey came to CBGB's and apparently was electrifying. Even uh, the, the Sex Pistols had covered I'm Not Your Stepping Stone uh, that year, around that time. And what...
0: Uh, Were the monkeys respected by the pot? Well, what, Is that what you're what, saying? Well, I'm
1: not, I don't know. What Lisa said to me was she said the demographic was was perfect that night because everybody there was kind of in their early 20s probably a lot of them were or late you know like yeah like early 20s and so that would have made them like 11 years old 10 years old when the monkeys emerged and were the biggest thing in the world which is the age you see when you see the monkeys when you're 10 years old that is the prime demographic there's something about the monkeys that is just perfect for a 10 year old mind because it's these four guys living in a beach house uh, it's in this liminal state between uh, it's it's utterly surreal but what it suggests in the monkeys is that friendship the kind of friendship you have as kids can continue on into adulthood and that's was sort of the 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 arc of the monkey story which is very exhilarating for a 10 year old i mean that's when i discovered the monkeys and um a lot of us who discover them that's kind of the magic age to get into it so so basically cbg is crowned with people who were 10 years old in 1966 and then when davy and mickey came out for the encore uh it was just an an electric electrifying moment apparently from all from all accounts
0: and here's a recording from that very event.
1: Well, that that year, that tour. This is actually, um, I think, this is uh, from a show at a clam bar in New Jersey. But uh, we'll we'll just suspend belief and say oh. yes, yes.
0: On the Nardwar. Do you want to describe anything else we're going to hear after that too?
1: Oh, what what, what do we have coming up after that? We have uh, the ma- Coasters cover. Yes, Oh, so the Dolan's, Jones, Boys & Heart album, they were signed to Capitol Records by Al Corey, who just died last week. Al Corey was the fellow who uh, went over to RSO and uh, launched the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack and the Grease soundtrack and became one of the 70s big hitters. But before that, he was at Capitol Records from 1957 to 1975, and he was passed over for the presidency of the label, so he quit in a huff. But before he quit, his last signing was... Dolan's Jones voice and heart now however when he quit they had lost their defender and champion at the label so the album basically was released to no fanfare in 1976 and it stiffed horribly it sold 23,000 copies at most um uh, and this is a song from it. They did a cover of the Coasters' hit "Along Came Jones," uh, with reference obvious to D- obviously to Davy Jones. And so this is this is from that album of 1976, "Along Came Jones." And then after that,
0: right, a little surprise a, right? little surprise. a little surprise. But right now we're going to go back to the Clam Bar, not
1: CBGB. That's right. The Clam Bar that predates CBGB. this up again. This is uh, Davy Jones and Mickey Dolans, backed up by the Laughing Dogs and also by Mickey Dolans' sister Coco on backup vocals, doing a version of the Monkees' big hit "Daydream Believer." Check it out
0: on an Ardward, a human Surya radio show with guest DJ Mark Kleiner, the monkey. Yeah, that's
4: what happens when you get breastfed by your father right now. Girls oh, having a musical taste like once again. Oh, I feel high, need a wish. I went through the red The six o'clock was dark. I never dream, but it me, and I rise, She and, and, and it's let
5: snack Should've seen what was going on by the time that I got back out in the old abandoned mine, my treat suit was having a having fits. You don't give a theme to your red dog, though you all the bit. Don't oh, give it a D to your ranch, I'll put you on the railroad track.
0: We are still listening to the War the Human Serviette Radio Show with Mark Monkey Klein's.
1: Kleiner. What did we just hear there? We, we heard It's Now, which was Davy Jones' comeback single in Japan in 1981. It was a number one hit in that country. Now, Davy had been uh, kind of, it had been real tough luck for him. He had been living in a trailer behind a pub in, in England, and he actually had to go to the pawn shop to pawn his jewelry to pay for that recording, which was tracked by a fellow, this has never been revealed to my knowledge, but it was actually tracked, uh, recorded and engineered by Pete Townsend at his Eel Pie Studios, and the connection was Davy Jones sometimes manager, Larry White was hired during the face dances period of the Who to be pete Townsend's personal handler, so that was the connection between Pete Townsend and uh, Davy Jones was through Larry white, who was uh I, I spoke with many times for my book and I'm very grateful to Larry so that's a little little in for for the listeners today it's and your now- book
0: was about.
1: Dolan's Jones, Boyce and Hart, the guys who sang them and the guys who wrote them. How broke were the monkeys at that point? Davey basically had nothing. Um, A fellow who lived in the trailer with him, uh, Andy Sears, a fellow named Andy Sears, told me that they uh, spent some nights literally scouring uh, the alleys and the streets looking for uh, pence, like pennies that have been... Now, why were they so broke? Well, it's a long story. I mean, Davey had been through an expensive divorce. He had uh, had some bad investment advice in the '60s. Basically, he turned over his, the, the management of his finances to what were basically strangers who had no sense of loyalty to him. And so he uh, he got screwed out of, a, out of a lot of money, and uh, it was very impacting upon him. It's, it's safe to say it was a very you know traumatizing experience. I think we could say.
0: And then Davy sadly passed away, and they decided to get. Peter Noon possibly to fill well, in for him.
1: Could you please explain this rumor, uh, Mark? Yeah, uh, from 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 what I hear, there was there was discussions to to replace David with uh, someone like Peter Noon, um, but they they were very soon advised not to go that route. So uh, the three of the three surviving monkeys are, as I mentioned earlier, playing the Pacific Northwest this coming weekend. So uh, for for the listeners who are in the Seattle or Portland area, you'll be able to see them. For listeners out east, uh, that. I believe they've already been playing in that neck of the woods, and they won't be coming to to Vancouver um, on this tour. Why did Nesmith come back to the Monkees? Because he was gone for so long. He was gone for a very long time. Uh, The Monkees had recorded a kind of a proto-grunge album together, as all four of them, in 1996, an album called Just Us, and uh, they had a fairly acrimonious split after that recording. So um, they're... There was a lot of, I think it's safe to say at that time, a lot of bad blood between the members. Um, Nesmith is insisting that uh, his coming back had nothing to do with David's death. Um, so uh, just simply that Nesmith at this stage in his life is a lot more interested in getting out there and performing. He hadn't done that in any capacity really for for the longest time. And now there's even talk of perhaps some new Monkeys recordings. But he's also doing solo tours that should be emphasized. So he's not just back doing the monkeys, He's He's back doing his own stuff. Like his solo stuff as well. so
0: We're going to try to jam as much as we can here on the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show in. But I have a couple other just quick little monkey stuff. I always ask you about Hendrix, Manson, Zappy, and the Rods. And the Robs? Yes. Mr. Zappy, Mr. Robs, Mr. Manson, and Mr. Hendrix.
1: But by Zappy, do you mean Zappa?
0: Yes. The connections. <laughs> There's some interesting monkey connections to all of them, isn't
1: there? The Robs. Is there a Robs? Connection? I don't know. I just
0: mentioned the Robs because you told me about the Robs. You love the
1: Robs. Well, the Robs are pretty cool, but I—I I mean, the the monkeys' connection would be pretty stretchy. I think I don't—I don't have anything coming immediately to mind. But um, Zappa was uh, Frank Zappa is well known for having been on the Monkeys TV show in a guest cameo spot, and he also was in the Monkeys movie Head as well in a cameo. And uh, Charles Manson, the long-standing rumor that he had auditioned for the Monkeys, that's not true. Um, but that was the connection there is actually not a connection uh, people who had auditioned for the Monkees include Paul Williams and uh, and I just watched the recent Paul Williams documentary last night I I, I reckon it's, it's worth watching um, and who else uh, Stephen Stills so those are well known stories and what was the other one
0: who asked for Hendrix like who got Hendrix to play with the Monkees whose idea was that Mickey
1: Dolenz uh, Mickey Dolans and Peter Tork had been at the Monterey Pop Festival and they had seen Jimi Hendrix do what I believe was his North American debut concert or one of his early ones and they were they were you know appropriately blown away and it was mickey Dolans who pushed to have him open up on the monkeys summer concert tour and so you know that was moving pretty quickly because i monterey was what may june 67 i don't remember the exact date but the by july at the latest hendrix was on the road with the monkeys for just really a handful of dates and um he uh, was getting booed off the stage, so I was looking for some audio from that, but there's no audio, is there? Nothing, no audio exists of that.
0: You're not even audio of the monkeys shows from that era. Oh area? yeah, there's
1: there's monkeys 1967. In fact, Rhino Records released a very good live album from that tour, um, you know, some years ago in 1987 called Live '67, and so and they've also released a box set of shows from that tour, but none none of the Hendrix shows. And
0: and again, you are Mark. Kleiner, Mark DeKlein's Kleiner, you're in a number of bands, one of them is Jungle, release and release, the new record, I've played a couple tracks,
1: some focus tracks on an Ardwater Human Survey Radio Show, sent
0: me Julietta, played that one, that was a great track, what's about that track
1: all about? Um, it's just about a girl at a bakery that I wrote in the 90s and we, we finished off the, the album and had sat there for about 15 years and, um, we managed to kind of put our, put our hearts together and finish it off and it was great to finish it, you know, and, uh, it's kind of like, uh, it, it runs the gamut, the record, some of it's great, some of it's poor, it's like life itself, you know, so...
0: What's interesting is the lyrics to your band, Jungle Mark. In there, you mentioned something about the college rock station, a party at the college rock station. And I remember you at a party at a college rock station put on by an unnamed college radio station where you might have been passed out in the bathtub at this party. And the host of the party came up to you and said, get out of that bathtub. And you're just like lying there. And then you stood up and said, Who are you? And the host of the party said... Who are you? I own this house. Get out. And I was wondering, was that about that
1: incident? And, and the following month, our uh, demo tapes mysteriously disappeared from the uh, the charts at that college station. Yes. Uh, what, what are you wondering about that? Is incident? that what that song is about? We say college rock station. I. The line is, it's a sad, what a sad situation at the college rock station. Girl, is just wasted soul. Where well, you're so apologetic when the moment's so precious. Come on, let the tires roll. You see,
0: apologetic, because she was apologizing because she kicked
1: you out. Yeah, I don't want to connect the dots too closely. I mean it's it's whatever you, you like it to be. I've got my, my personal, you know, things, but this the song lives in, in a number of different um yeah, sure. However, there is something now you'd like to
0: get out. You'd like to get something out right now. You have a song that you wrote in honor of Mint Records in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and their 20th anniversary.
1: Yes. Um, Jungle got back together a couple of years ago. And I got to say that I had not been performing or writing music for almost a decade. And uh, shortly before we reunited uh, for the Mint 20th um, anniversary party, I had uh, I'd been walking in Saskatoon by the Roxy Theater and I saw Peter Case was coming and I called Paul Kindrat, the promoter and uh, asked if I could go on the bill and he kindly agreed and so I got to open for one of my heroes and it just sort of started getting stuff flowing again so I started writing and the first song I wrote after almost like I say a 10 year um, you know, break from writing and performing was this song which I wrote in honor of that evening and in honor of, of Mint Records and this, this city of Van- uh, the city of Vancouver I should say that I dearly love ready
6: hello genie girl you've hardly changed for a night like this i wish the same we get together like we lost a day not a decade
1: And the rest will be coming in uh, future. <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, I, I lost uh, the rest of the words. Get together like we lost a day, not a decade. Um, you know, I think that song may have just been meant for that one night because I, I literally can't remember anything more than that.
0: Well, Mark Kleiner, you've brought another song. Mark Kleiner, you've brought a bunch of songs out to the Nardwarty Human yeah. Soviet Radio Show. Is there
1: one you would like to perform here? Well, sure, sure. I'll do something. Uh, I'll do something. Uh, let me see here. Mark Kleiner, turning the pages live here on the Ward, to Human serviette Radio Show. Turning the page. Turn the page. Yes, uh, the well-known Bob Seger song. I will do something that I wrote a couple days ago. How about? And this is uh, called Round Down. And uh, for the listeners, I don't know if you're rounding down there in the uh, New Jersey area. But uh, we're rounding down, we're rounding up here, and so it goes 73 and 74 means I'm gonna have
6: to pay some more. But 72 and the jokes on you round down 77, even 76 hours. Riding high, I was getting my kicks But 78, now I can't catch a break I'm out of luck Damn, they just rounded it up Up, up, up They rounded it up
1: from here That's all I got? And if you know where I can take that song after that, please let me know. So thank you for allowing me to share a couple of new song ideas. Um, I'm also writing a a song for the new Evaporators album that I'm going to be pitching to to you, Nardwar. That particular song reminds me a bit of Shania Twain. Doesn't
0: she have that song? Up, up, up. Really? Isn't there a Shania Twain song called Up, Up, Up? It's it's possible. So you're on the right wavelength there. (laughs) Absolutely amazing. And Shania Twain, you taught me a lot about Shania Twain, didn't you, Mark Kleins Kleiner? Because remember, Shania Twain used to date...
1: Oh, it was. She was married to um, to Mutt Lange.
0: Yes, and in Mutt Lang, what did Mutt Lange when uh, did I mean? How, for instance, we blame Shania Twain for what?
1: For I don't know. What do we blame
0: her for? For ruining Def Leppard. Ah, uh, okay. Because Mutt Lang did all the stuff with Def Leppard. Then he married Shania Twain, and then he turned Shania Twain into.
1: Shania Twain.
0: No, Def Leppard. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. So it's kind of Mutt Lang's fault or Shania although, Twain's fault. The
1: Mutt did come back and, and work with uh, Def Leppard again on the, you know, 2002, I believe, stuff. I don't know. I never I never knew the Lep too, too terribly well, but uh, I, I like the Slang album that they did. That was sort of, uh, but, you know. Like, I, really that was nothing. another
0: gig that we tried to do interviews
1: at that I did was we kicked ch- out at. The slang?
0: No. Remember when Def Leppard did three gigs, three continents in uh, one day? Didn't
1: they play the Commodore? Yeah, they played the
0: Commodore. You
1: got thrown out of that? Yes, what? I did with the Metal Queen. Shout out to the Metal Queen. God bless the Metal Queen. Jill? When was the last time you talked to Jill? The Metal Queen.
0: When we were live on CITR all together talking about Janie Lane of Warrant. Okay. And winding up here to end the to Human Serviette Radio Show, Mark Kleins
1: Kleiner... We have some ballads you wanted to tell the people about. Yeah, we're going to play what I consider the best uh, heavy metal power ballad. It's uh, the last single off Warren's Cherry Pie album. It's called Blind Faith. It's a song that didn't do terribly much relative to the previous power ballad successes that they had, but it still uh, did well enough. It's, It's a song called Blind Faith. And that will be uh, sagging into a uh, power ballad from the new Jungle album, which is my band, uh, a song called Boy's Gonna Break Your Heart, which features Kurt Dahl on backup vocals. I'd like to thank Kurt for being part of that. The story with Kurt Dahl is I was in a group called the Mark Kleiner Power Trio with him, and I was also in a group in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan called the River Boys, and my drummer in that band was named Kurt Doll as well. So I played with two Kurt dolls. Now, the Kurt doll from the River Boys is now playing in a band called One Bad Son, who's out, have moved out here to Vancouver and they are on, uh what's it called, 544540 Records, the Nickelback label? 604. 604. Is it called 604? Like the area code. Okay. Did I say right here in Vancouver? Yeah, that's
0: fine. <laughs> we are in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, on the Nord of the Human, Serviette Radio Show. But Warrant, though, this particular song you said is kind of popular, but it symbolizes something, doesn't
1: it, to you, Mark? Um, blind Faith? Yes. H- how so? Are what you makes you to- pick this particular Warrant track? Well, I don't know subliminally. I mean, I, I guess the the mention of faith, is that where you're going with it? I, I didn't even think about that. Am I allowed to even mention that? well sure okay good absolutely i'm a man of faith i guess and uh you know i uh, yeah i'm a, a preacher in bigger saskatchewan so if you're ever coming through bigger on a sunday morning at ten thirty a.m i invite you to come by There's saint paul's anglican church or redeemer lutheran church we go between buildings month to month but we worship at ten thirty, like i say and um did they give you any bread you get to eat any bread well the the body of christ we have but Eucharist. don't they hand bread out well, at the Eucharist, yeah, there's there's bread and wine, which is the the body and blood. But like, do you Christ. push
0: bread into people's mouths at all? I don't
1: put it into their mouths, but they'll generally. Do you get um, to
0: wave around one of those things that has
1: like the, smoke on the it? The incense. Yeah, we don't have incense in our church. That uh, that's more of a high church. Uh, I know a lot of the Orthodox churches are, are big on the incense, but we don't we don't have uh, incense generally at. Uh, at Redeemer or at St. Paul's. But. And this particular track, Blind Faith by Warrant, why'd you like this one? It's just a brilliant song. It's just a gorgeous melody. And um, one thing that's interesting about it for uh, for your listeners that uh, I encourage you to check out is California Kingbed, the Rihanna failed single. It, I know it wasn't quite as big of a hit. It's virtually a rewrite of Blind Faith, this fifth single from the Warrant Cherry Pie album. Um, just just bizarre. I mean, but you can hear the, the heavy metal guitar solo and stuff. So it was an attempt to really resurrect the idiom, if you will, in uh, 2011 or whatever, 12, whatever year that was. So I invite you later on. I don't think we're going to have time to play California King Bed, are we? I don't think so. Okay. So that will just be have to one to bookmark for yourselves if you want to check out, because it's, uh, it's scarily similar to uh, the, the Rihanna Warrant connection there. But here we go on the
0: War, the Human Serviette Radio Show, a little bit of warrant and in some jungle.
1: Bless you, thank you.
7: I have the great pleasure
2: of introducing this time
3: a gentleman who is quite well known here in San Antonio. So actually, he needs no more introduction than to say simply, here's Mike.
7: I
0: don't know whether they're enjoying their football games or not, but I hope they are. At least they aren't out here. Hope everyone loses. Mark, I just can't get away from the monkeys when you're around. What is happening right now? By mistake, instead of warrant, what did I subliminally play here? What (laughs) is happening here? We
1: have queued to Michael Nesmith live in San Antonio, Texas in 1963. Uh, that's uh, that's Mike chatting right now, He's setting up the, the next song. song. Now, crazy. the monkeys, before they were monkeys, I never realized they were so documented. Yeah, I know. I mean, but this is one of the things, uh, the, the miracles of YouTube and, and, and sites like that is that people who have these little you know things like Michael Nesmith was on the folk circuit in Texas for a while and so these things are starting to come out now so are
2: you back there?
1: absolutely but we're not going to listen to that we will refer our listeners to uh to YouTube for the Michael Nesmith live in San Antonio 1963 as well as to the Rihanna California Kingbed. so there's a couple of to compare to this Warrant song yeah, the, coming yeah, up. so a couple of homework items for the listeners out there but uh Rihanna versus Warrant right now
0: on right. the Nardwar the Human Serviette radio show
4: Darling, I know you're sleeping But there's
6: something that I've just got to say I wonder if you'll hear me while you're dreaming Make a lifetime out of every day Thanks to
4: you, now I know
0: you're still listening to the Nardwar the Human Serviette radio show and we still have in the studio who are you please identify yourself my name is Mark Kleiner and it's
1: been a pleasure to be here thank you Nardwar Mark what did we just hear right there your own band Jungle from the Pacific Oblivion album recently released on iTunes and that's a song called Boys Is Gonna Break Your Heart that's Stephen Hamm on bass Tim Murphy Lee guitar Aaron Gilganen on drums yours truly on vocals and Kurt Dahl special guest on back a ballad
0: of sorts a
1: ballad of sorts produced by daryl newdorf
0: and introduced by the ballad of all ballads before
1: the ballad of all ballads which is the ballad known as blind faith which was single number five from warren's second album cherry pie To end the to Human Serviette
0: radio show here, Mark Kleiner, thanks again for coming in. Really appreciate it. You're just in town for a little bit. You gave me a call, and now you're on the to Human Serviette radio show exposing me and the listeners to all this incredible music. And right now, you've pointed out something here that we have to play before we end the to Human Serviette radio show. Please explain.
1: We are going to hear a track by someone named Brother John Rydgren. Now, Rydgren was an ordained minister in the American Lutheran Church who, during the 1960s, um, recorded a bunch of radio spots. These are kind of short beat poetry, kind of soliloquies, which is the church addressing the hippie counterculture. It's kind of finding that uh, speaking the language of hippiedom to the um, essence of Christianity. And so it's a very uh, interesting, sonically captivating, and and the message is pure and good. And so we're going to hear the hippie version of the 23rd Psalm. Now, I should mention that John Rodgren's recordings have been uh, searched, sought out, for years by audiophiles and rare vinyl collectors, but they his three albums have been put together on a reissue two CD set, which is out there. So this is from the album Silhouette Segments. That was another thing I should mention is that these never really were commercially released because Rydgren didn't bother to get clearance on the backing tracks that he used. So he would pull up uh, recordings by various that people had made but didn't have the rights to them. So that's one of the reasons that they remained in the vaults for so long. But we're going to hear now the hippie version of the twenty third Psalm, Brother John Rydgren. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me and Wonderful to see you, Nardoor. You're looking great. Um, Thank lo- you
0: for coming up, Mark. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all?
1: Uh, just, um, you know, love your show. Um, I love the city, uh, being Vancouver, and uh, I love uh, And I'm, – I'm originally from Philadelphia, so a shout-out to all the people listening on the eastern uh, seaboard as well. How about if people want more information on this book that is not
0: coming out and also about this band Jungle that hasn't been touring? Where can people find out information on these things?
1: Jungle, if people want to check out more of the album, they can go to facebook.com slash Pacific Oblivion and uh, you can hear the album uh, for free and if you want to hear more about the Dolan Jones Boyce and Heart book, the closest thing I can recommend right now is picking up the last issue of Rocktober fanzine which published uh, my extensive interview with the drummer Dino Kovas. From the New Monkeys, which was a 1987 Monkeys kind of knockoff, and Dino was also a super fan of Dolan's Jones' voice and heart, so hence my interview with him, so people can check that out, and otherwise um, we'll just be watching for each other in the ether, thank you Well,
0: thanks much, Mark Kleins Kleiner, keep on rocking in the free world, and do-do-do-do doo do do, do.
6: do do The Lord is my happening He's where it's all at He tricks me sweetly He never bugs me he says, make it, when the duds put me all down. I keep my cool, because he straights with me. Even though my head's torn up in the world's a plastic mushroom, and I'm crawling on my face, everything is cool, because he's there digging me. When everybody's faking and stabbing, he's super cool. And he's with me, baby. He craves my face when it's ugly, man. He lays abundance on me. Baby, ain't no way I can get hung up. He's my lifetime trick.